0: Did you ever think being a woman who wanted it all would be so hard? I didn't either. That's why my guest and I are unveiling the issues and challenging the norms of modern womanhood with the intention of exploring and publicly airing the uncomfortable and the unspoken. No topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions that most people are too ashamed to ask. Welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together. So are you in? Hello to my modern women. We're back here with another solo episode and this one just so happens to also be one you guys voted for. In this episode, I'll be exploring the success gap and how we can own our success as modern women. I really think this is something each one of us has struggled with at some point in our lives and it's certainly something that I continue to struggle with today. Guys, I've mentioned this before, but I love it when you write into to me, letting me know your thoughts on past and future episodes. Please let me know your feedback and any thought or suggestions you may have. Literally, sometimes at first, it feels like when an episode drops, it gets lost in the ether, so I'd love to hear from you all. Also, as we're halfway through season two, I'm starting to think about season three. So please let me know if you want me to continue doing half-solo, half-guest seasons, or if you have a preference for one or the other. And to those of you who are already a part of the singlet 30 Facebook group, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm so sorry. And I have a very special surprise coming your way soon. For those of you who are not already members of the group, though, make sure to join so you don't miss out on what's to come. So to start this episode, I wanted to first make it clear how I'll be defining success. As you guys know from my previous apps, I believe we should all be free to pursue our own version of success, whatever it is, and I don't put one type of success above another. But for the purpose of this episode, success will largely be used to describe professional advancement. So recently, after a conversation with my best friend Stefan, I came up with what I like to call the success gap, which essentially is a gap in not just the pay between genders, but in the achievement of the type of accolades and leadership positions that often define the kind of success we're talking about. So how big is the gap? The harsh truth is that contrary to Beyonce's song, men still actually run the world, largely making the most important decisions and holding the most esteemed positions in areas like business, politics, finance and science. This blew my mind, but of the nearly 200 independent countries in the world, only 14 are led by women. And then of the 151 seats in the House of Representatives of Australia, only 45 are held by women, which is just over 29%. While globally, only three countries, that being Rwanda, Cuba and Bolivia, have a lower house in parliament where over 50% of the seats are occupied by women. Just as a side note, I was really, really happy to hear how progressive those countries were when it came to women's participation, and I seriously look forward to the day when other countries follow suit. But in the corporate and scientific world, things are actually even more dire. Only 5% of the companies that make up the S&P 500, which is basically one of the biggest financial markets in the world, have CEOs who are women. And across Europe, only 20% of all board members are women. Interestingly, the Nobel Prize for Physics has only been given to women four times in history, and the prizes in Chemistry and Medicine only seven and twelve times. And then, when it comes to pay, obviously no one will be surprised to know there's a gap between the sexes. In Australia, for example, women's average weekly earnings across all industries and occupations was $1,575 compared to men's earnings of $1,837. When I spoke to my friend Stefan about it, he said that's not much, which to me illustrates the problem perfectly, because while it might seem like it's not that much, this is actually a 14.2% gap that over a 30-year period in the workforce adds up to over $400,000, not even including the effects of things like compounding interest or lost opportunity cost. And in America, the pay gap is over 18%, while in South Korea, it is a whopping 34%. All this adds up to a pretty huge success gap in my eyes, and it's something that you don't just notice in statistics like these, but that you can see everywhere. I mean, I definitely have. As an example, in the corporate jobs I've had, I mainly noticed women in secretarial and assistant roles, and while working in finance, I had very few female colleagues at all, unless they were in the marketing or business divisions. Thankfully, though, what I've also noticed is more and more women are going into business for themselves to in part try and close the gap, But I suppose an important question to ask is how did we get here to begin with? Based on my research, I think it's a combination of nature and nurture. Obviously, from a physiological perspective, there are definitely things that hold us back. Firstly, there's what we naturally as women gravitate towards. I was recently listening to an interview with clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson... And for those of you who don't know him, he's worth checking out because he literally has one of the most incredible minds I've ever come across. But basically, in the video I watched, he argued that women are more interested in people, whereas men are more interested in things, which means by default women gravitate towards more professional roles that involve and a focus on nurturing and connection, such as nursing and teaching, whereas men are more interested in stuff like spreadsheets, tools, cars and money, and therefore tend to gravitate more towards careers like engineering and physics or even finance. In the short snippet of the interview I saw published on his Instagram account, he didn't actually specify that this difference was genetic, but I got the feeling that that's what he was saying, or at the very least that there was a genetic component. And I actually tend to agree. Like my earliest memories of school and me crying over my dad forcing me to learn my times tables, I always loathed mass and naturally gravitated towards subjects like history or English and anything that involved people or human stories." Genetically, women also have about 10 times less testosterone than men, which is a hormone linked to risk-taking and confidence. And confidence and self-belief, I've come to realize, are absolutely key ingredients to success and achieving anything you want in life, perhaps even more so than actual competence. Like, not to point fingers, but Donald Trump is a living example of the insane power of unwavering self-belief with little to no merit, something that a lot of men have actually clued on to. When it comes to job applications, for example, women generally only apply when they meet 100% of the criteria, but men on average apply when they meet amazingly 60%. I attribute this behavior to what I like to call basic white man syndrome, which basically means in the same way a lot of men think all girls are into them, they also think they're good at everything. This is why men often do what I've seen called man interruptions, which is basically where a man interrupts a woman mid-sentence, and unfortunately, in a lot of cases, the woman allows it. Whether it's because of conditioning or not, the basic premise is that the guy thinks they're more capable and their opinions are more valuable than ours. And then, on a nurture front, women are also much more likely to experience the often career-crippling imposter syndrome, which, as most people who have experienced it know, can cause sleepless nights, anxiety, guilt, and in a lot of cases, halt career progression even when you're performing brilliantly. The statistics on this are literally terrifying. Endless studies in countless industries show that women judge their own performance as far worse than it actually is, while unsurprisingly, men rate their performance as better than it actually is. In a study performed at a surgical school, male students not only did this, ranking their own performances more highly than their female counterparts, but also did this when they actually underperformed compared to their female counterparts. This fits with a lot of situations I've read about and even seen firsthand where men feel qualified to walk into their boss's office to pitch ideas, or put their hand up to be put on projects beyond their capabilities, or even to demand a pay rise or promotion, whereas women are often a lot more considered and cautious and just want to keep their heads down and work hard. This is part of a broader pattern authors Carol Frohlinger and Deborah Kolb refer to as tiara syndrome, which, if you haven't heard about it before, is where women feel they can be bestowed a tiara of success on the basis of performance alone. Not included in their strategy for success is extreme self-confidence and proactivity. And not only is this sadly a big mistake, but this difference in how men and women rate their own ability and qualifications can be found across a range of industries and fields. Like I found it super interesting how in a survey a potential political candidates in America, men were found to be about 60% more likely to say they were very qualified to run for office, even if they had the exact same qualifications as female candidates. And I recently read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, Chief Operating Officer of Facebook and the fifth most powerful woman in the world, according to Forbes, found it incredibly comforting to know that somebody of her status also struggled with imposter syndrome. She even recounts the story of her female friend, herself, and her brother, who were sitting the same exam. In the story, they all walked out, and both her and her friend were sure they had done terribly, while her brother confidently stated he had gotten the flat one, meaning a straight A. When the results came back, they actually all got straight A's. The only difference was she and her friend had doubted themselves." And like, I can definitely relate to this. When I studied psychology, I would suffer from crippling anxiety and sleepless nights, worrying that I'd failed an exam or assignment, even though I would often end up receiving full marks. I also suffer from perfectionism, another crippling trait that is equally as overrepresented among women, and can sadly end things like dreams, careers, and aspirations before they've even begun. In my case, my combination of imposter syndrome and perfectionism was so palpable, I came close to not launching this podcast because I was so stressed that the content wasn't perfect. For weeks leading up to launch, I woke up with literally like bleeding gums from grinding my teeth out of stress the night before. On top of this, when the podcast did launch, I had so many sleepless nights thinking that I had no business launching something like this and that everyone would inevitably accuse me of being a fraud, despite being encouraged to start this podcast for years by the people around me and despite also receiving endless messages since launching from listeners who told me how much they love the content. And it's probably worth noting that each week, I actually go through this mini-cycle of self-doubt and fear, only to realize it's mostly in my head, before going through it all over again the following week. It actually is so crazy when I think about it, but it's literally what happens every single week. According to doctors Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, imposter syndrome comes about because of mismanaged internalized social expectations. Basically, from an early age, women are taught subconsciously and perhaps consciously that they are less capable and smart than boys. And this means when they achieve things later in life, they can't accept that it's because of their own talents or hard work, instead seeing themselves as a fraud. And this early conditioning is frighteningly exemplified in an experiment involving 192 kindergarten and first grade students who were taught to play a team game and then told to pick their partners. Half of the children were told they needed really, really smart people to do well at the game. The other half were not. The children then chose three teammates from photos of six children they never met before. Three of the photos showed boys, while the other three girls. All the children showed a preference for teammates of their own gender with their first choice, but those who were told they needed really, really smart people were then more likely to select boys over girls for their next partners. It's crazy, but this shows how by the age of just six years old, girls already believe they're less capable than boys when it comes to smarts. And in the end, this leads to behaviours that are correlated with a lack of self-belief, such as not being able to ask for a pay rise in circumstances where most men definitely would. In fact, research reveals men are four times more likely to request higher pay packages than women with the same qualifications. Besides viewing boys as smarter, young girls who are frequently praised for their looks are also taught to prioritise them over intelligence. This also takes place with boys who learn to see female appearance as all-important. It actually reminds me of a time when I was dating a guy who said a girl like me should work in sales rather than as a coach because I could make a killing based off of my looks, implying my appearance was the only way I would be able to make a good living. I've also noticed that men often list nice as one of the most popular traits to describe a woman, often trumping traits like funny, interesting, intelligent, or driven. And this makes me think that it goes back to our conditioning that we must be polite and nice, and if we're not, then we somehow don't fit the mold of what a girl should be like." My dad actually also often says that women wait for permission before acting, and I think it's because we've been taught to seek help or ask for permission, whereas men are praised for being proactive and self-directed. In Lean In, actually, Sandberg describes a talk she gave at Harvard, where when the students were given Q&A, the male students, and I'm quoting here, leapt to the microphone and posed thoughtful, big-picture questions like, what did you learn at Google that you're applying at Facebook? And how do you run a platform company and ensure stability for your developers? Then two women rose to the microphone, and the first woman asked, do you think it's okay to work for a company that competes with the company you worked for before? And the second woman asked, how can I get a mentor? Sandberg goes on to say her heart sank. The men were asking about how to manage a business, whereas the women were asking for permission or help. She says they were waiting for their Prince Charming mentor in business, just like many did in the dating world. Obviously, another crucial factor that leads to the success gap is the fact that we as women have to give birth. A huge physical commitment that affects each woman differently and usually comes at the growth stage of our most pivotal career years. And the impact of this cannot be overstated. In Canada, in the year after the birth of a first child, women aged 25 to 34 experience a reduction in earnings of about 48%. That's not totally unexpected given that women usually take time off after giving birth, but the worrying part is that women continue to suffer a significant drop in earnings for a further five years. This might partially be because women are expected to do it all. If they return to work, they're still expected to do the majority of housework, and they usually have more contact hours with children than men. Like, this is insane, but in America, when a husband and wife are both employed full-time, the mother ends up doing about 40% more childcare and 30% more housework than the father. However, it's worth noting that some of this might actually be our own fault, or at least the fault of another form of social conditioning that has been aptly termed maternal gatekeeping. Basically, that's when your boyfriend or husband or partner tries to do something in the kitchen or with the children, like stacking the dishes or changing a diaper, and you say, no, not like that, let me do it. As Sandberg points out in Lean In, just like we need to empower women more at work, if we want men to do more at home, we need to empower them around the house. Like my guy best friend once remarked, he even ended up intentionally acting dumb in the kitchen, even though he was completely capable, because after being warned to not do it like that enough times, he decided he didn't want to encroach on his ex-girlfriend's domain, and basically all that meant was she ended up doing more of the housework than she needed to. And then another thing that blew my mind is how over the past 50 years, not only has the amount of time we spend on housework been going up, so has the amount of time we spend on child rearing. Think about this. In 1975, women who didn't work spent about 11 hours a week on primary childcare. When they worked part-time, they spent about six hours on primary childcare. Today, though, stay-at-home mums spend about 17 hours looking after their kids, while those who work part-time spend about 11 hours doing so. This means employed mothers today spend the same amount of time raising their children as non-employed mothers in 1975 did. Just as another side note though, it's strange for me to hear these numbers as based on observations and even conversations with my friends, they seem to spend way more time with their children than 11 to 17 hours per week. But whatever the exact number is, our time spent looking after children is going up. We are now expected to be housekeepers and mothers and successful career women all at the same time. This ideal is so much so and so damaging to us that famed feminist Gloria Steinem said Superwoman is the adversary of the women's movement. Basically, she's saying there is no way we can do it all to perfection and for society to expect so is ridiculous. And I think Sandberg sums a lot of this up nicely in the marathon analogy she gives in her book. She asks us to imagine a marathon where men and women arrive both equally trained and fit, but where the men are routinely cheered on with slogans like, looking strong, on your way, but the females hear different messages. Stuff like, you know you don't have to do this, or why are you running when your children need you at home? But despite all these challenges, fortunately, countless women have beat the odds and achieved remarkable success in the traditional career-oriented sense of the word. Essentially, they've won the marathon. Not only are there the corporate giants like Sheryl Sandberg or pioneering legal minds like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but also famed women scientists like Andrea Ghez, winner of the Nobel Prize in Physics, and also game-changing political leaders like Angela Merkel. There are also countless women who have risen to C-suite positions in the corporate world at all levels or started their own businesses and seen them prosper. But unfortunately, owning your success as a modern woman can be just as hard as achieving it. And I'm not just talking about the sleepless nights that can come with imposter syndrome. For instance, women are far less likely to boast about their success, or to talk about a recent promotion, or even reveal how much they get paid, and they all too frequently downplay their achievements or attribute them to somebody else. And this, in turn, unsurprisingly, leads to them being overlooked for further career progression. An extreme version of this is when women apologize for their own achievements so as not to appear arrogant and be disliked or demonized or even to avoid being labeled a bad mother or wife for over-prioritizing work and under-prioritizing home life. An interesting fact I recently read is that single women are actually less likely to advertise what they earn compared to women in relationships. And I wonder if that's because they think that will make them less appealing to men who could potentially be intimidated by them and their success. I actually recently read that even though men will say they are looking for intelligent, hardworking, beautiful women, research has proven that when it actually comes down to the selection process, they often don't choose women based on these characteristics. They actually want a subservient, nice, easygoing woman, leaving a lot of women to conclude that their careers actually intimidate their potential suitors. My life coach once even told me that the fact that I'm supposedly so independent would intimidate a lot of men and that I need to stop operating out of my masculine energy and focus more on my feminine. Energy. She even recommended that I add more color to my wardrobe by purchasing more pink and bright colored clothing, knowing my go-to is always black. And funnily enough, as I recall this app, I'm actually dressed head to toe in black. And not to go off on a tangent, but now that I think about it, the demonization of successful women is so bad, I've even noticed that some men in industries that I've previously worked in are now complaining about women receiving preferential treatment. Instead of assuming their promotions and achievements are based on merit, some men are now saying it's just politically correct bullshit. The truth is, this all adds up to why it can be extremely hard as modern women to accept compliments about our success. In The New Yorker, author Ken Oleta noted, "...self-doubt becomes a form of self-defense." The idea is that in order to protect ourselves from being disliked, we question our abilities and downplay our achievements, especially around others. I mean, I've definitely been guilty of doing this, and this is because, and I'm sure this is no surprise to most of you, but successful women and successful men are viewed very differently. Decades of social science research have confirmed this, and it all comes down to societal expectations and stereotypes. Our stereotypes of men says they should be providers or strong or driven and aspire to power, whereas our stereotype of women says they should be sensitive caregivers and value communal aspects of living. In essence, whenever men or women stray from these stereotypes, they are punished by society. For instance, men who are sensitive caregivers were historically viewed as effeminate and weak, and women who are strong, driven, and aspire to power were historically and often continue to be viewed as calculating or ruthless or bossy or bitchy, and basically everything a woman shouldn't be. For example, in the workplace, when a man calls a woman ambitious, it's not usually a compliment. Rather, it's an underhanded insult, a warning that she isn't what a woman should be, and she should be watched in case she encroaches on the domain of men. When a man is ambitious, of course, it's always seen as a positive. Like, think about how Donald Trump and Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, are viewed so differently. The same dichotomy can be found with countless other words. But in short, success and likability are positively correlated with men and negatively correlated with women. And sadly, it's not only men who are attacking successful women. In fact, other women often view their high-achieving female peers just as negatively as men. Sadly, we can be our own worst enemy— I'd like to mention here that I think, like Madeleine Albright once said, there is a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. So what can we as modern women do to close the success gap? I think like Jim Morrison said, there can't be any large-scale revolution until there's a personal revolution on an individual level. It's got to happen inside first. In our case, it means we need to stop thinking hard work and keeping our heads down will be enough to get us where we want to be. We need to start embracing self-confidence, and dare I say it, a lot of us could take a page out of Donald Trump's book. We need to start aiming higher, demanding more of our bosses, and start applying to jobs even when we don't meet every single one of the criteria. We need to lean in, like Sandberg says, and start taking more leadership positions. I think we also need to surround ourselves with the right people. Like if your family or peers are looking down on you or attacking you because of your success as a woman, don't accept it. Napoleon Hill, in the book Think and Grow Rich, really stresses the importance of being selective about who you hang around and who you share things with, claiming quite rightly that the people in your life can have a big impact on your success. And when I think about it, this might be even more important for modern women. We also need to choose our partners wisely. In Lean In, Sandberg reveals that contrary to popular belief, pretty much all the most successful female business leaders have partners – A wild fact that I recently read is that out of the 28 women who currently serve as the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, 26 are married. Many of those CEOs said they couldn't have achieved what they did without help from their husbands, including housework and childcare. I really think that if we can do all that, then modern women will have a much better chance of closing the success gap, something I think deep down we all want to do and would be proud to contribute to. Finally, when we achieve success, we need to work our hardest against imposter syndrome. We truly need to believe that we can achieve big things because of our talents and hard work and not deflect compliments or apologize for our successes. And we definitely shouldn't indulge any romantic partners who are either intimidated by our success or try to minimize it. The reality is success isn't a dirty word and we shouldn't act like it is. Instead, we should all work together to try to close the gap. Thank you so much for listening to this Singlet 30 solo episode, The Success Gap and How to Own Your Success as a Modern Woman. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. If you have any questions, feedback, or even an episode idea, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30, or join the Singlet 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. As always, no topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Singlet 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.